Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Desi, we have a really exciting show today. Yay. You ready? <laughs> I'm ready Are for you it. ready for this? I am. This episode is a long time coming. This has been in the works for pretty much since we started doing this podcast, but it has been really difficult to find a lot. Like it had been difficult for me to put this story together in terms of like research materials and give it the care. I felt that it deserved. So without further ado, here it is. It's happening right now, our episode about Mac Dre. I used a few different sources for this episode, one of which is a new book that came out by friend of the pod, Donald Morrison, titled Mac Dre, A Crime That Was Never Committed. Donnie, he's coming on the show next week. Yeah. by the way, to discuss this book, among other things. I also used one of um, his very important pieces that he wrote in 2021, which we'll be discussing later towards the end of the episode. That's the one I sent you. That's what started so much of this. Like, I mean, that's what got this ball rolling to finally being able to do an episode. I remembered you talking about it, but saying you didn't have enough information or a good source, like an in-depth investigative piece or anything. And then Donnie's piece came out and Desi sent me the piece and she's like, have you seen this? And I was like, what is this? Yeah, his. it's so random because I had interviewed a friend of his about Sublime of all things. <laughs> and his friend retweeted the article. So that's how I saw it just randomly. Oh, wow. So it was like this series of you know, fortunate sort of things happening yeah. to come together. And then I followed Donnie immediately. So I was like, I need to get in touch with this guy. And he was so kind to want to come on the show. Yeah. Anyway, we I also read a lot of old newspaper articles and stuff like that, which I will be referencing throughout the show. Let's get started. Oh, and I just wanted to say that there, this book, you need to buy this book. Buy the book, Mac Dre, A Crime That Was Never Committed. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's really cool looking. It's a beautiful book. It's, it's really good. There's obviously a ton of stuff that is in the book that you will not hear in this episode. I don't want to spoil like everything in the book. There's a ton of interviews by like the real people from Mac Dre's life, including his mother, um, who we will talk about in the episode. But there's a lot of stuff. There's a whole chapter on Mac Mall in this book that that was really interesting that we're not going to get to in this episode. So I really encourage everyone to buy this book and support authors that are friends of the pod. Yeah. Anyway, without further ado, let's get started. 
So Mac Dre was born Andre Lewis Hicks on July 5th, 1970 in Oakland. His mother, Wanda, also known as Mac Wanda, was in between her junior and senior year at Hogan High School in Vallejo, and she ended up moving into a home for unwed mothers in Oakland ahead of her son's birth. Despite the challenges of motherhood and finishing her senior year of high school, Wanda excelled, working a part-time job and joining the Black Student Union. Dre's father, Alan Lewis Hicks, was also born in the Bay Area in Solano. And like Wanda's parents, Alan's parents had left their home in the South for Northern California. Now, from the 1910s to the 70s, the Great Migration saw many Black American families leave the South where they had experienced generations of oppression and brutality for metropolitan areas in the Northern states and on the West Coast, where they were offered a better quality of life. Now, that's not to say that the northern states and the West Coast didn't present challenges and oppression for black Americans, as evidenced by parts of Mac Dre's story, which we will, of course, discuss in this episode. Donnie's book goes into great detail about what life was like in the South for Dre's family and their journey to the Bay Area. Wanda Wilson and Alan Hicks met each other when they were both teenagers living in Vallejo. Wanda moved with her young son to Oakland, where they remained until he was seven. It was in Oakland that she met her future husband, Richard Salvato, an Italian-American from New York who worked in the computer industry. He would later become a cultural influence to a young Dre. The family then moved to Marinwood. You know where Marinwood is? In Marin County, where they lived for the next few years. From Marinwood, Wanda would commute by bus into the city to work at her job at Wells Fargo. And when Mac Dre was 10, they moved to Vallejo. Now, even if you aren't familiar with the Bay Area, if you've heard Mac Dre, you've heard of Vallejo. Yeah. Much like if you've heard E-40s music and you aren't from the Bay, you've heard of Vallejo. Wasn't there's a connection to the Zodiac too, right? With Vallejo. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, there is. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I was just thinking what we just talked about. Vallejo. We just yeah. were talking about Vallejo. So let me just tell you geographically where Vallejo is. It's part of the North Bay area. It sits east from Marin across the bay. To the south is Berkeley and Oakland, and to the north is Napa. Wanda describes their home in East Vallejo as, quote, a very nice home on the hill. She said that she just wanted to give her son the best life possible. And Wanda and Richard did give him a really good life. Dre was surrounded by extended family from across the bay who remembered him as a comedian from a very young age. He was always making people laugh. In middle school, friends remembered that he was the best dressed, and his unique fashion style would later become a signature. Dre worked for a brief period of time in his teens at Burger King, but then he was like, fuck that. I'm an artist. I just want to be a rapper full time. Like he knew that he was either going to do that or nothing. He had transformed the family garage into his own recording studio. Wanda recalls that her son's favorite artists at that time were Run DMC and Curtis Blow. Nice. Desi is a big Run DMC fan. (laughs) I like them both. And you'd like Curtis Blow, too. Of course. She said, quote, He had a gift of gab. He had a way with words. He was very smart, very young. Now, the name Mac Dre was inspired by the name of his friend and mentor, Michael the Mac Robinson. Robinson was a fellow teenage rapper also living in Vallejo. 
Sadly, Robertson was Robinson was murdered in 1991, shot to death while in the car with his girlfriend. This murder was a case of mistaken identity. Ugh. Dre started making new friends who lived in the Crest, which was a rougher neighborhood in South Vallejo. Wanda described how Dre was drawn to this neighborhood. Andre had a lot of empathy for people who struggled. He wanted to help people overcome, she said. She said that he would buy these kids stuff or just give them stuff from his own house because they were they were more disadvantaged than right. he was. Here, it was here in the crest that he would meet several kids who would go on to become well-known Bay Area rappers, among them Mac Mall and Doobie. Dre and his crew from the crest would go on to call themselves the Romper Room. Nice. Yes, Dazzy. <laughs> it is exactly what it, you think it's named after. Of course. It's named after the classic children's show, The Romper Room. With the magic mirror. <laughs> this show ran for like 20 years. Do you remember the mirror? Vaguely. Where I she was, would see you? I was really young. I mean, all of us were young. But I don't, you know, that does sound vaguely familiar. I do remember it being on, and I do remember always thinking it was such a goofy ass name, even for a kid's show. I think the name is funny. I don't remember ever really watching Romper Room, but obviously, when we were kids, there was like two things on TV. Like, do you know what I mean? We didn't have the options of many things, but yeah. But I think that's a fun name. They were the rocker crew. room. Yeah. That was their crew. Like many teenagers, Dre rebelled, started getting in trouble. Wanda did her best to maintain her connection with her son just by getting to know his new friends and being like, hey, why don't you invite these guys over to dinner so I can, you know, look them in the eye and be like, hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Andre's mom. What are you guys up to? What are you guys yeah, doing? Yeah, see if they're like looking down. <laughs> <laughs> not making eye contact. <laughs> yeah, she just wanted to be in her son's life and still maintain that connection. But, you know, teenagers are going to do what they're going to do, Desi. Mm. I know. And I es- think, yeah. And especially the rebellious ones. You don't want your friends, like, saying anything, getting right. you in trouble. <laughs> keep them away. <laughs> keep those things separate. In his senior year of high school... Mac Dre's first single, Too Hard for the Fucking Radio, was released, and Dre performed it in front of 1,500 people at Hogan High School at the talent show. That's pretty big. Yeah. He had backup dancers and everything. Wow. He really put on a show, and he ended up winning first place and getting a cash prize. Dre was now performing at shows all around the Bay Area, he even opened up for Tupac. No, Tupac opened up for him, <gasps> I think. Wow. Yeah, it was Tupac opened up for him at a couple of shows in Marin City. Yes. Which is where Tupac was from. Too Hard for the Fucking Radio would appear on Mac Dre's debut EP, Young Black Brother. The EP was produced by Kari at Strictly Business Records. Dre's second EP, California Livin', was released two years later in 1991, and the title track was released as a single and music video. That same year, Dre and his girlfriend gave birth to their daughter. 1991 was a really big year for him. It was full of triumph and tragedies. The tragedy, of course, being the murder of his mentor, the Mac. The following year, he channeled his emotions into his next EP, What's Really Going On, 
His, his lyrics on this EP dealt with the pain of this incredible loss of his friend, but also at his anger at local law enforcement. And this anger was justified, given their continued harassment and brutality toward the black community. Mac Dre was no, lo- was no stranger to being the target of police harassment himself. He had a song called Punk Police, which really demonstrated his frustration with the cops. And the cops did not like this song. Oh. They're like, you dunking on us. I mean, I feel like if you're going to be a cop, you got to expect dunks. <laughs> Here's something I know about cops is they really don't have a sense of humor. And they don't realize that that makes it even funnier. Yeah. Like if they were just cool with the jokes, then it would probably stop a little bit or it wouldn't be as funny. At well, least. <laughs> you're right. It makes it funnier. The jokes would still happen, but it does, they don't realize that it does make it funnier that, that they, they really don't have a sense of humor. Right. Um, so this song was written from, like I said, this justified anger and how about how the cops had erroneously labeled the romper room as a dangerous gang. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's just funny in and of itself. <laughs> there, I mean, like a picture of them talking, like, we've got to get this romper room. <laughs> no, literally, they're like, the romper room gang is the most dangerous gang in the Bay Area. It just sounds funny. Yeah, it's, it's pretty absurd. And so this, of course, led Mac Dre and all his friends to be relentlessly profiled by yes. these police. Well... Like I said, when Punk Police came out, local law enforcement was furious. Now, this is in 1992, an era where police, the media, and politicians fear-mongered so much about rap lyrics. Right. Many famous artists of the time, NWA, to Public Enemy, and more, they were rapping about their own experiences and the experiences of the community and the violence enacted upon them by the police. These... Lyrics were taken by these institutions, the police, the media, politicians, as calls for violence or that these songs were corrupting the youth rather than what they were, artistic expression. Mac Dre's lyrics were taken by law enforcement as a legitimate reason to target him and his group of friends. Dre's first brush with the law came in 1989 when he was arrested for providing false information to a cop. And then from 1989 to 91, he would be arrested or cited several more times by cops. There was a rash of pizza parlor robberies in the Bay Area during this time, and Mac Dre and the Romper Room were named in an article about these incidents. Just randomly. Well, a January 1992 article in the San Francisco Examiner said, quote, the gang, heavily armed, highly mobile, and with a penchant for aggressive takeover robberies, is believed to be responsible for 30 stickups in Solano, Alameda, and Contra Costa counties since August, according to police tracking their movements. The article continued that law enforcement was looking into the romper room's connection to a string of bank robberies. The article then called out Mac Dre by name, saying that he was a member of this alleged gang but that police had no evidence to suggest he was involved in any of these robberies. I mean, if he's, he's like a rapper, why would he be like robbing pizza places? <laughs> Sorry, Look, this doesn't even make sense. They like, said like a, two sentences later in this article, they're like, well, he's not, we don't think he's involved, but he is. We're just thinking about we're it. We're just 
putting his name out there. Yeah, this is so weird. And that March, Robert Stack's famous true crime show. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name because of the strike, but you know the one. I know. You guys know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. This show aired an episode about these robberies. Really? Yeah. Jesus, it's just... I, do they normally air shows about robberies? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Was it just, I mean, maybe it was a huge it, deal. It, I have no idea. It was a rash of robberies happening in the Bay Area. It was like for some reason. Were like, they, were murders happening? No murders were okay. happening. They were just stick up, they were stick up robberies. Slow week. Which, look, I'm sure are scary for the people involved. Oh, my involved. God. No, like, I'm not discounting that at all, but it's just typically not a type of thing that that show covers. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking more. That's why I'm wondering what made it sort of unique enough. Yeah. But I, maybe it was just extreme enough as far as the location, amount of locations. These but, people at that show are real big fans of Roundtable Pizza, and we're like, enough is enough. This is affecting me now. This is personally <laughs> affecting me. We have to cover this shit. And that episode obviously was seen by like millions of people and it would aid police in like arrests. A few weeks after the episode aired on March 26th, Mac Dre, Jamal Diggs, a.k.a. Jay Diggs, and Simon Curtis Nelson, a.k.a. Kilo Kurt, were arrested in Fresno on suspicion of armed bank robbery. (gasps) Now... These were pizza robberies, a rash of pizza robberies, and a rash of bank robberies. Not necessarily connected. Well, law enforcement thought it would... I'll get into that. Okay. So these three guys, they're all arrested on suspicion of armed bank robbery. The Oakland Tribune reported, quote, Hicks and his companions had been under surveillance as suspected main players in a loose association of North Vallejo youths that police believe are responsible for a chain of bank robberies in the city. This police surveillance of the Romper Room Boys had gone on for years. Jeez. Vallejo Police Captain Roy Conway stated that the Romper Room Boys were also either responsible for the pizza parlor robberies or that they inspired others to do them. Well, that's not their fault. Well, if they inspired, right? He was, <laughs> Is that a crime? <laughs> he was really mad about it. Okay. Now, Jay Diggs would later admit to committing the bank and pizza parlor robberies oh. with members of their crew, but he said that Mac Dre was never involved with any of it. In fact, one of the banks that they robbed was a bank that Wanda worked at. That's right. She worked at a Wells Fargo. Yes. And she was super freaked out when the FBI came into the bank and she called her son and she's like, oh my God, like what's happening? What's going on? She was like furious and scared at the same time. But he told her, he's like, I don't know. I am not involved in that. Well, and and I believe it because he probably would know, like he wouldn't want that to happen to his mom, right? No. I mean, no. so he has some skin in that game. She obviously believed him. Now, let's rewind a tiny bit. So prior to the arrests, Mac Dre had tagged along with Jay Diggs and Kilo Kurt on a trip to Fresno so he could meet up with a girl he was seeing. These guys are like, we're going to Fresno. He's like, oh, I got a girl there. Yeah. Let me hop in the car. So he was with this girl in a motel room while his two friends were out driving around Fresno. According to police, Jay Diggs and Kilo Kurt were casing a bank 
but they called off the robbery at the last minute when a news crew had showed up at the bank early after hearing about a possible robbery over their police scanner. So the news crew, like, kind of fucked with the law enforcement's, like, sting operation or whatever was happening. Because I guess they heard on the scanner, like, we're investigating a possible possible casing of a bank or a robbery. So they got that information because they were following these guys? They were on the police scanner. And then when... No, but I'm talking about how did the police know they were, they were casing a joint? Just because they they've were... They've been following them around. Following them. Yeah, they've been surveilling them. So then them. the news crew showed up to the bank. Right, like, hey, we're here. That. Okay. And then... Got it. Jay Diggs and Kilo Kurt see the news crew and they're like, oh, shit. Like, we got to get out of here. And Max, at, he's with his girl. He's with his girl. So he he's hanging out with these guys who are getting him in trouble, basically. Yeah, these these guys were getting into trouble, but Mac Dre is like, I'm getting busy. Yeah. I'm just getting busy in Fresno. I'm part of the romp and the romper. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's he's romping right now. Yeah. So Jay Diggs, Kilo Kurt, and Mac Dre are leaving town in their car later on when they're pulled over by police. police. Police catch up to them, and they're all subsequently arrested. Inside the car, police recovered a 9mm handgun and found nearby the vehicle were two ski masks, which were presumed to have been tossed outside of the car once the guys saw that police were following them. Yeah, I mean, if you're accused of bank robbing, you, you, don't, want those, you, you don't want those black <laughs> ski masks. You don't want those black ski masks. Now, Desi, all these boys are really young. Mac Dre is like 21. Jay Diggs and Kilo Kurt are 19 and 20. Yeah. These are kids, and they're getting arrested on suspicion of bank robbery. Following the arrests, newspapers highlighted Mac Dre's lyrics about the police. The Fresno Bee said, quote, A Bay Area rap star whose lyrics mock police officers is in custody in Fresno on charges of conspiracy to commit bank robbery. They then printed some of the excerpts from the song Punk Police. Mm. They're like, get a load of this. <laughs> By August, as Dre awaited trial, the Napa Valley Register reported, quote, jailed rapper gains cult following. A cassette tape had dropped featuring new songs that Mac Dre had recorded via jailhouse phone call. This song called Back Into Hood became a local hit. They're like, that's our hometown boy. Yeah. He's making, he's making bangers from jail. And how did he do this? Well... We're going to talk about okay. that because I've al- that's something I've always been fascinated yeah. by. <laughs> the Napa Valley Register said, quote, much of the tape expresses outrage through X-rated jabs at the <gasps> Vallejo Police Department, even naming a specific detective. Not X-rated. They were <laughs> X- <laughs> In an interv- interview with the Contra Costa Times, Mac Dre reiterated his frustration with the police, saying... I can't make them stop. That's what I was saying in my record. When I wrote those lyrics, when I wrote these lyrics, I was mad. Kilo Kurt explained just how difficult it was to record songs behind bars, how he would have producer Kari put his phone or producer the producer Kari, he would put his phone next to a speaker playing his beats so that Dre could hear from his phone the beats and rap along with it. And Mac Dre would frequently have to tell the other inmates, like, shh, 
Yeah. Can you be quiet for like two seconds? Please. They're like, <laughs> I would like to think some of them would be kind of mad. <laughs> like, it's my time. <laughs> you know what? People liked him a lot. That's good. He is a very good personality. So that helped. And he was a very good rapper. Like, because he would do like rap battles in jail. Okay. So they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's making a, he's making he's a banger. Artist, yeah. We got, this is an artist here. Yeah. Um, so they would be quiet for him. But Mac Dre's phone privileges were temporarily <sighs> suspended after he did a phone interview with local radio station KMEL and said that a confidential informant had lied about him to police. Oh. So the, like the, the police busted into KMEL, which is a beloved rap radio station, rap and R&B in the Bay, and they freaked everyone out there. <gasps> They're like, you can't have you can't have Mac Dre come on your radio station. He didn't. He was in jail. <laughs> he was on the he was technically on the phone. Mac Dre's lyrics would play prominently in the prosecution's argument at trial. The prosecution played back into Hood in an attempt to prove Mac Dre's connection to the bank robbery plot. I don't approve of this. I don't think it should be legal. It shouldn't it shouldn't be legal and it was legal until very recently because okay. a bill recently passed. Yeah, I I think that sounds very familiar like we talked about it. It was co-sponsored by several California rappers, a bill passed in California to make this practice illegal. I mean, that's crazy. It is insane that it was legal in the first place and admissible in court. Well, because lyrics are famously, you're doing characters, you're doing stories. like It's artistic expression. It is so fucked up that rap lyrics have been used countless times in court cases. Right. It's like out of control. So this is what, this is like the prosecution's main argument. I mean, especially for your main point of evidence, like, no. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> yeah. They're like, look, he's a he's a um gangster. He's rapping about he hates the police. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, they're harassing him a lot. Yeah. Anyway, um, so they played this new song back into hood. The lyrics that they really emphasized in this song, this is the one he recorded from jail. Right. He said the bank was robbed and I fit the description, but he just said he fit the description. But he's clearly saying they just picked me up because I fit the description. Yeah, but that was like one of the main lyrics yeah. they emphasized. They didn't even have a good one. They didn't even have a good one. <laughs> it wasn't even like, and then I robbed the bank. <laughs> no, sorry. he never Sorry, said- Ma. Even that would be, I feel like, inadmissible. Right. But like, he didn't even say that. <laughs> no, it's like so out of control. So then they played Punk Police in the courtroom. And in Punk Police, this is the one where he calls out a local cop by name it's very funny. He says, and I'm going to dedicate this one to, to Detective McGraw. <laughs> <laughs> Detective McGraw was like, excuse me, how dare you? I just think it's funny that that dunk got admitted into court record. <laughs> McGraw's like, Detective McGraw's like, can we not, can we just stop talking about it? <laughs> The defense argued that Mac Dre had been relentlessly harassed by the police and unfairly targeted because of his lyrics. But the jury found him guilty, (gasps) and he was sentenced to five years in prison. Oh my gosh. 
He did nearly all of that time. Damn. Spending a total of four years and four months behind bars at Lompoc Federal (gasps) Penitentiary. Damn. And he's like 21. He's 21. Yeah. Jay Diggs and Kilo Kurt each got 10 years. I mean, they actually... actually, They did. did. I'm not as pressed about that. They did. They did. Kilo... They like they were in like they were Kilo and Dre were in prison together and they pr- played in the prison baseball league. Were why did Kilo I'm sorry, what's the other guy's name? Jay Diggs. Jay Diggs. Did they say he wasn't with us? Um I'm pretty sure. They did. Okay. Yeah. Because Mac isn't mad at them or anything. Well, I know that nobody cooperated with the police. Right. I, like nobody it was like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Here's my lawyer. Like everyone right. lawyered up. Like nobody talked to the police. So, so they all weren't saying anything. Basically. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Like I don't I didn't read any transcripts okay. from any of that. But But they were not mad at each other or no no no. A, yeah. They were like stuck close to each other in prison. Okay. And they were on this baseball in this baseball league together, and their team name was the Mandelas. Oh. Now obviously prison sucked. But Mac Dre was able to charm the other inmates with his very likable personality and by how funny he was. He was a very funny guy. He was just naturally goofy and people really liked that. Yes. Kilo said, quote, he had this walk. It was tall and upright and he kind of looked like Popeye when he hit that sp- when he hit the spinach and both arms started moving toward you. <laughs> but he was hella skinny and it was his body that would go up instead of the arms. You could tell it was Dre walking toward you from a mile away. I think this is a good place to take a break. We'll okay. be we'll be right back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot HCS. 
I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Following his August 1996 release from prison, Mac Dre dove right back into making music, releasing his next album in December of that year. The Rompilation was a mixtape featuring a variety of Bay Area rappers, including Messy Marv, Mac Mall, and Baby Bash. In 1997, producer Kari's album The Black Elation featured Mac Dre on three tracks, including one of my favorite Mac Dre songs, It's Raining Game. Unfortunately, that same year, Mac Dre was caught smoking weed, <gasps> violating his parole, and Ugh. was sent back to prison for nearly two years. What the fuck? Yeah, that's some bullshit, right? <sighs> he was released in 1999, and fortunately, he would not be incarcerated again. Kilo got out later that year, and they teamed up. Dre and Kilo, they teamed up. They're like, let's like get serious about the music business together. For a minute, they considered trying to get Dre signed to a major label, but came to the conclusion that staying independent would protect them from shady executives and give them more creative control and money. Dre's mission with his newly formed label, Fizz Entertainment, was to sign his friends and provide space that would give them all a path to make money together. Mac Dre's next album, 1999's Rapper Gone Bad, was the first in a series of albums he released in quick succession throughout the next few years. His music at this time was reflective of the era, but overall it was uniquely Mac Dre. He was touring a lot also, traveling up and down the state to Oregon and to Kansas City. I learned that much like Oregon, Kansas City, there's a lot of crossover with Bay Area rap there. Like There's like a big fan base of Bay Area rap. Oh. Um, Or at least there was at this time. I knew that about Oregon, but I did not know that about Kansas City. And in the early 2000s, Dre set up studios in Oakland and Sacramento. In 2001, Mac Dre met a 19-year-old guy named B-Love. B-Love was an employee at the Concord Circuit City. B-Love, he had his own video production company on the side. And B-Love first caught Mac Dre's eye at a party where you saw him dancing. B-Love's dance moves would go on to inspire Mac Dre's most famous dance. B-Love would later appear in the 2002 music video for the song Fizzle Dance, which is a song that tells you how to do the dance. 
I love those songs. You know, there's some of the great, <laughs> there's some of our most enduring songs. It's the perfect thing because then everyone can do it. That, and this if you is, don't know it, it's just listen to the lyrics. Then you slide to the left. It's just like <laughs> well, I will say that while the fizzle dance does give you clear instructions about the dance to move. The first lyric of the song is, first, I do like this. I put a look on my face like I smelled some piss. Yes. So it's a, it's a very funny song. It's, you're setting your vibe up first. You're setting the vibe up. The fizz face, Mac Dre is known for the fizz face. That's the, I just smelled some piss face. You know, the dance that goes yeah. like this. It's like. Yeah. I can't. I'm and you're glad. trying to get, get it off you. Well, you got to get wipe, <laughs> wipe the smirk off your shirt, off me shirt. He says me like a leprechaun. Yeah. Um, so this dance and song, it's like an iconic song. It's an iconic Bay Area song. B-Love and his partner, fellow college student Justin Lomax, made a documentary together called Trill TV about Mac Dre, where basically they were just following him around while he was doing stuff, like cool. doing errands and yeah. doing shows and going to parties and like dancing around, making music. And these series of videos became a hit and exposed Mac Dre to new audiences because they're like, look at this guy. Like, he's yeah. hella funny. He makes great music everyone wants to dance to. And we like him. We like this guy. Now, for all you non barrier people, let's get into some bay slang. Uh-oh. Let's get into some barrier slang. The term fizz... It's a slang for ecstasy. It was coined by Mac Dre. And Mac Dre popularized the drug among a totally different scene. Once synonymous with rave culture, popping E would become heavily associated with the Bay Area rap scene in the early to mid-2000s. Mac Dre's next albums, including 2002's Thizzle Washington, 2003's Al Boo Boo, and 2004's Ronald Dragon really showcase <laughs> Mac Dre's comedy and his free-spirited goofiness. Like, these albums are quintessentially this, like, fizz era of Mac Dre, where it's, right. like, very goofy. The album covers are goofy. The songs are, like, the rapping's good, but, like, there's a lot of comedy in it as well. I didn't know this. But it does make total sense that Mac Dre was inspired by Shock G of Digital Underground. Oh, wow. Yeah. So much like the Thizzle dance, the Humpty dance, they also explain how to do the dance. Yes. It's a very funny song. Very funny. As well. The opening track on 2004's Ronald Dragon is one of Mac Dre's most famous songs, Feeling Myself. Now, this era of Mac Dre solidified him as the godfather of the hyphy movement. And any hyphy mix worth its salt will have feeling myself on it, in my opinion. Now, Desi, I really struggled with figuring out how to explain the hyphy sound to our listeners because I'm not a music journalist. Yeah. And you know how music journalists, they have all those music journalist words they pull out. They're like, it's a fizzy confection of a pop song. <laughs> I don't know how to write like that. No, and no one knows what they're talking about. I don't know. <laughs> but they all, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. They're describing, it's like dancing for architecture. It's like that that kind of philosophy. Like you can't, how do you describe music with words? You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. difficult. I, there just, are, I, can, I mean, there are terminology, obviously, like 
you know, you can use, but they go beyond that. I'm just also not as articulate with describing music as, as other people are. So Donnie's book actually cites the exact same complex article I had planned on using as an explainer. Right. So if it's good enough for Donnie, it's good enough for me. It seems to be the one. In 2016, Complex published an article called An Oral History of Hyphy, in which a collection of important Bay Area rappers and producers are interviewed about the movement and about this music style. So the term hyphy is said to have originated from Keek to Sneak all the way back in 1994. Keek, he's another legendary Bay Area rapper. You might, if you know the song Tell Me When to Go by E40, you've heard Keek before. He raps on the second verse. He's got a real raspy, very recognizable voice. So he's, he's the dude. He invented this. He's like, he's the originator. He's considered the originator of this term. He said, I was a character back in junior high school, a class clown. I used to make everybody laugh. The word hyphy came about because I used to eat a lot of candy. I was thinking hyper, like when a kid eat a lot of candy and they can't be still and they just running around. Okay. So he was thinking hyper when he said hyphy? It's like a variation on hyper. Okay. It's like a more exciting way to say you're hyper. Okay. I'm not hyper, I'm hyphy. Okay. E-40 described hyphy as, quote, Hyphy is energy. Hyphy is a lifestyle. It originated in the streets. I credit people like Keek to Sneak and Mac Dre and plenty more. It's really a way of life, just hard-headed and really energized, like he a young hyphy dude, or man, he hella hyphy. Mm-hmm. So is that clear? <laughs> <laughs> I, look, look. Mac Wanda was also interviewed in this article, and she... She described her son's style during this era, which I thought was interesting and just sort of illuminating. She said he started doing more upbeat rapping and it became more like dance music. And that's when he really took off, when he did get stupid and feeling myself. His style was unique. He'd layer Burberry with Kangol with Levi's and wear huge stun of shades. He had a way of dressing and talking about his life and what it felt like to have a good time. He'd get on stage and do these crazy dances. E-40 explained the hyphy sound's influence on mainstream rap of the mid-2010s, a decade after the hyphy movement. He noted producers like DJ Mustard, whose signature sound plays homage to the Bay Area sound. The 2014 Big Sean hit, Featuring E-40, I Don't Fuck With You. You guys all remember that song? This song is very influenced by the hyphy sound. Even though it's, it's not a Bay Area song, with the exception of E-40 being on the track, but it's definitely. And I personally would argue that Beyonce's partition is, is hyphy-esque. Now, you may disagree with me, but I would I I I'm calling it hyphy esque. The okay. beat the beat is, and Beyonce herself actually once compared the baseline of that song to an old school two short beat. Okay, so I'm going with partition is hyphy esque. Mm. The peak of the hyphy movement came in 2006 when E40's album My Ghetto Report Card brought the sound and the movement to the national stage. His monster hit, Tell Me When to Go, has become synonymous with hyphy and the Bay Area in general. Today, it's still blasted at Giants and Warriors games. 
It's like, tell me when to go is the Bay Area's We Will Rock You. It's like become a sports anthem. Yeah. It's like transcended just being a like a popular rap song that people like. It is like an anthem. Also, every normie at these games knows it. Yeah, it's like the We Will Rock You yeah. of the Bay, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's a very important song in our history. <laughs> at the end of October 2004... Mac Dre left the Bay for Kansas City to perform at a show on the 29th with Keek to Sneak and Yuck Mouth. They arrived on the 20, 27th. Their show on the 29th did not go as planned and was actually shut down early at the last minute, partially due to poor planning on the concert promoter's part. Keek and Yuck Mouth flew back to the Bay the next day, but Mac Dre stayed in Kansas City. On Halloween night, Mac Dre made an appearance at a party at the Atlantic Star Club. Flyers had been handed out ahead of the party advertising Dre's appearance at the club. This party was planned by Damon Whitmill, the same inexperienced promoter who had put on the concert. In an interview with DJ Vlad, Jay Diggs said that it's been speculated that some kind of argument occurred between this promoter and Mac Dre because Mac Dre didn't perform that night. Now, Mac Dre was not paid to perform at this club. He was under the impression that this was just like a... An appearance. An appearance, like, hey, Mac Dre's going to be at our party tonight. Yeah. In the VIP booth, come hang out with him. And that's very common. It's very common. Uh, we see it with reality stars all the time. And no. with other just any other celebrities. It's like their faces on the flyer for the party. They're the host. Yeah. They're the host. So... The concert promoter, Whitmill, believed that the concert on that had occurred on the 29th with Keek and Yuckmouth, and then this club appearance afterwards on Halloween would be something that would make him a lot of money. But he did not make a lot of money from this. He later told police three different stories about just exactly how profitable these events were. First saying he lost money, then saying he broke even, and during his third interview, he told police that he made $6,000. Mac Dre's friend, Savino Davila, was at the club that night. He later told police that Dre wanted to leave because of how disorganized this event was. Savino also said that the promoter was pissed off because Mac Dre didn't perform that night. So Mac Dre left the club and he got something to eat. At 2.30 a.m., Harold Piercy was driving Mac Dre in a white van going north on Highway 71. They were headed back to the hotel. Mac Dre was sleeping in the back. While they were driving, a black Infinity sedan pulled up alongside the vehicle, and that's when bullets came flying into the van. The bullets came from two different firearms, a forty-five pistol and an automatic rifle. Over 30 bullets were fired into this van. During the shooting, the sedan rammed into the side of the van, which sent it swerving over the median, across four lanes, off the road, oh. and crashing into a ditch. Mac Dre's body flew out of the van during this crash. Oh, my God. Piercy, the driver, couldn't find Dre at all. It was really dark. It was really late at night, and he couldn't find his cell phone either. They were, like, upside down right. in a ditch. But he knew he needed to get help. And as he crawled out of the ditch, he then saw a car speeding towards him and he got scared 
and he just took off running towards the nearest hotel, the Baymont, which is where Mac Dre's, some of his friends were staying there. Right. This is where he called the police. It took police close to an hour to arrive at the scene. Oh, my God. Where Mac Dre was pronounced dead. He had suffered a fatal gunshot wound to the neck. A tip led police to find this black Infinity sedan, and it had been ditched behind some guy's house. It was discovered to have been a stolen vehicle. The tipster claimed that he saw two black men get out of the Infinity and get into a blue van before taking off. There were four bullet holes found in the back passenger side of the car, leading police to conclude that these bullets were fired from inside of their car. Right. Bullet casings matching the weapons used in the murder were found inside. There was also white paint on the side of the car where it would have hit the white van during the shooting. So this is the car. Yeah. Detectives interviewed a man named Elijah who was alleged to have been seen driving the stolen Infinity a few months before the murder. Elijah told police that his friend had stolen the car. He later said that he believed his friend sold the car to a guy named Papoose. Not to be confused with the rapper Papoose. Okay. Different guy. He said at one point he even got a ride, he even got a ride from Papoose in this infinity. So he's like, yes, this guy, he's like the last owner of the car. Right. Or the last person in possession of it. By this time, rumors had been spreading about a different person, a Kansas City rapper named Fat Tone, and people were saying that he was responsible oh. for the murder. Fat Tone had a reputation not just for being a gangster rapper, but for being a gangster rapper. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, he's an actual gangster. He had previously been charged with the murder of a 19-year-old woman and her unborn child. Mm. Now, this case was dismissed when witnesses for the prosecution declined to testify at trial. The word on the street was that Fat Tone felt disrespected by Mac Dre for not inviting him up on the stage to perform with him at the Kansas City show. Some witnesses told police that they had seen Mac Dre and Fat Tone arguing the night of the concert, but there were just as many other witnesses who said that there wasn't any argument between them. And that's the concert that got canceled. It's yeah, it got cut off short. Oh, cut like off it short. Like cut short. It was just like this kind of right. It was not it did not go as planned. Right. Fat Tone was interviewed by police 2 weeks after the murder and he denied any involvement. But the rumors about him killing Mac Dre persisted. The following May, he was shot dead in Las Vegas. Oh. Detective Babcock of the Kansas City PD later told a magazine in 2005 that he did not believe Fat Tone was responsible. Whitmill, this promoter, was also suspected of murdering Mac Dre for not performing the night of the club party. A jailhouse informant was interviewed who said that he heard Whitmill say that he hired two gunmen to commit the crime. The informant said that the name of one of the gunmen was Papoose. The informant also confessed to police that he helped spread the rumor that Fat Tone was the murderer in order to deflect attention from his friend. Mm -hmm. An anonymous tipster came forward to police and said that they saw Papoose and another guy burning their clothes in an alley on the night of the murder. Later, another informant claimed that an associate of Papoose told, poli- told people Papoose murdered Mac Dre. So people, there's like these informants coming through that are like, well, this guy, this guy said he did it. 
So Papoose was interviewed several times over the next few years, but he maintained his innocence in regards to the murder. He did eventually admit to having been in possession of the Black Infinity, but he said he sold it to Fat Tone the day before the murder. In 2014, Papoose was murdered. (gasps) To this day, no one has been charged with Mac Dre's murder. Wow. As we mentioned earlier... This whole thing got kicked off, like the catalyst for being able to finally like put an episode together was in 2021 when Donnie wrote the article for Passion of the Weiss right. called Who Killed Mac Dre? We'll include a link to it. Yes. It's a it's very detailed. I didn't even like scratch the surface of details yeah. that are laid out because he was able to come into possession of 1,200 police files wow. or 1,200 pages of police files that he went through all of them, including yeah. like interviews. interviews, transcripts, photos, like crime scene photos, like anything, like just very, very detailed. So it's, I highly recommend that article. It's like, it's, it's wild. Right. Following Mac Dre's death, his popularity soared and his audience grew as new people began to discover his music. As we mentioned earlier, the hyphy movement blossomed over the next two years and it really put Bay Area rap center stage. Like there had been obviously famous Bay Area artists who became national successes, Digital Underground, Too Short, E-40, uh, hieroglyphics, including Dell. But this was like, at least I would consider the first time it was like, this is the Bay Area sound and the Bay Area sound, this hyphy movement sound right. is famous now. Yeah. Um. So Mac Dre definitely got like a bigger audience in the wake of this movement. In 2011, Drake's hit song, The Motto, gave a shout-out to Mac Dre, boosting his profile even more among people who weren't from the Bay Area. He recites a line from Feeling Myself, and then afterwards he says, Rest in peace, Mac Dre, I'm going to do it for the Bay. E-40 and Mr. Fab both appear in this music video, and the video was dedicated to Mac Dre. Today, Mac Wanda owns Thiz Entertainment, and its main function is to preserve Mac Dre's legacy. Wanda started Dre Day, which is an annual Bay Area concert. In 2015, Diz Entertainment produced the Mac Dre documentary, Legend of the Bay. And it's narrated by Sway. Wow. How, Sway? (laughs) I grew up with Sway. Sway. Sway Sway was a DJ on KML when I was a kid. Yeah. When I was a little kid. So I love Sway. Um, but yeah, so he's like a Barry guy. He he did the narration for this wow. documentary. Um, anyway, so that's that's Mac Dre's story. Why is the book titled "A Crime That Was Never Committed"? Because, because it's not solved. Well, or? look, we can ask Donnie. Okay, we can ask <laughs> Don. I always just assume, I was just curious. I thought it was about the bank robbery. Okay, well we'll ask him. We'll get the official response. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. I've also just been decidedly referring to him as Donnie on the on the pod. Even Oh. 
Does he not call himself? I think he does. I think it's. No one wants, you know, got a, you know, Donald has some connotations. Well, well, no, but Donald's like more for like Donald, I get because you want your author name. He's like a serious author now and a journalist. He's he's a legitimate investigative journalist. I mean, this is real investigative journalism. This isn't just us trying to investigate what happened to the Mint Milano recipe. (laughs) What changed? This is real serious (laughs) stuff. And this, not only that, but this book is the authorized, the authorized oh, nice. biography. So he got the mom's approval. He got Mac. He got Mac Wanda's approval. That's I, that's good. I, I mean, actually, that's legit. I actually got an email from Andre Nicotina, not a personal email, but like a mass email from Andre, like for his fans or whatever, right? Saying to buy this book. A so like, email. no, it wasn't a. It was not a personal email, but Andre Nicotina's team did email me. Making me aware oh, of nice. this book. So this is this is the book. This is the quintessential, right? The authorized book, and I urge everyone to buy it. Um, it's so cool looking. I love the design too. I mean, yeah, it just looks good. It's a really, it's very aesthetically pleasing. This cover. Uh, this is such a sad story, though. It's really tragic. Um, like what a bummer. It's awful. Yeah, it's really awful. Um, and for what? Like even no matter who did it, it's like, oh, he snubbed you, or you felt snubbed. <laughs> like that's it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, depending on who, if it was one of those main two suspects, I guess it's awful. And something that Mac Wanda said, like immediately following his murder, that just broke my heart. Was like, you know, he had he was turning his life around after he like like he was really focused on his music and his business. Like he had spent like all these years in prison and like he was like finally kind of taking off he was like really taking off and like to have this life cut I mean he was only 34 years old it's just so sad it's so senseless the whole thing I mean it's completely senseless yeah for sure uh but that's just terrible anyway we will be posting pictures obviously on our Instagram so Go um, listen to his music and go listen to Mac Dre's music now get the book and buy the book We're going to add a link to that. Okay. Anyway, thank you. Bye.